All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. I am joined, as always, by my notorious compadre, Mr. Aaron Malone. Pizza Mind, how you doing over there, buddy? Staying warm this winter, I sure hope. Absolutely not. It's been freezing cold here in Texas. We got some snow on New Year's, but uh, that's not stopping us. The Bitcoin freeze. The Bitcoin freeze at 46k is not stopping us, as other coins are finally decoupling from their BTC shackles. Yeah, it seems like we're getting a pretty nice run here. Markets. Getting pretty a nice run here in the altcoin markets. Off to a really strong start. Um, and we're joined actually by, you know, the CEO of a really interesting DeFi project called FutureSwap, Derek Ulia. Uh, welcome to the Crypto 101 podcast. Guys, thanks for having me. Yeah, we're going to dive into to all sorts of stuff, you know, derivatives, trading, open interest, options, perpetual swaps, uh, all sorts of stuff. Uh, but first, Derek, let's, let's just get quickly acquainted. Um, you know, what's your background? Um, my background is mostly in software engineering, um, just building cool stuff, building, um, you know, it was really early on building iPhone apps and sort of um, saw the gamification of the app store and um, was really interesting to see how when new markets are, are opened up, sort of what, what changes and innovations um, those bring. And I think, you know, um, crypto has a lot of parallels to what happened with the iPhone, um, especially in terms of what Ethereum did for, in terms of like creating an app store. Um, there's a lot of parallels there of just opening it up to developers and innovation and new things that could be created. So yeah, backgrounds in, in building stuff. Yeah, that's epic. Yeah. It, it was funny because Right before we, uh, we, we hit record, you asked us a question um, and you said, are you guys like maximalists on any certain chains, Ethereum maximalists, Bitcoin maxi? Um, and, you know, Aaron and I both, you know, shook our head. No, nah, you know, we like all the altcoins and, and different, you know, we think there's you know, lots of value to be found. And you kind of agreed and you said, yeah, you're, you're a decentralization maxi. So what does that kind of mean in, in context of, you know, maybe Ethereum uh, but what is a decentralization maxi? Um, yeah, I think on a high level, it's, um, you know, you want to go to where things um, are, are at least centralized. Because I think when you, when you start to get centralization, you get sort of funky behavior that we're all trying to sort of pull away from. I mean, the whole notion of Bitcoin is to get away from that behavior. and Malicious behavior? And malicious behavior or just like, you know, humans in the loop. Uh, with too much power, too much control, sort of muck up things eventually. And so um, it should be a more decentralized uh, network where sort of there's composability, there's permissionlessness, and Ethereum really embodies this pretty well and pushed this early on. If you look at, you know, something like Uniswap, what a great example of, you know, something that's decentralized, uh, at least very early on, uh, where people could sort of uh, build on top of Uniswap. You could create your own markets. Uh, you know, one of the reasons why Uniswap was so popular is because they had this notion of you can you can create your own pair and create an exchange before to get listed on these centralized exchanges. Like it cost you know million dollars to list your ICO token over there. It was expensive, and then going from million dollars to you know an Ethereum transaction, which 
at the time was probably like 10 bucks to create a new pool. Uh, those were the days. That's a huge (laughs) shift. Well, I think we'll return to those days, hopefully of, uh, you know, all these complex transactions with, with kind of many sorts of transactions baked into one that are now, you know, that cost you a couple hundred to maybe even a thousand bucks, um, you know, minting NFTs and all that kind of stuff. But I think that as L2s, all right, layer twos and optimism and everything kind of comes online and, and maybe the, the merge goes well. And hopefully those, those Ethereum gas fees kind of come down soon. But I think that's a big problem that a lot of, you know, people are having, you know, a lot of our listeners, at least, you know, express a lot of frustration with that. And you're a guy who's building on Ethereum, you know, FutureSwap is an application built on Ethereum. So what do you kind of have, you know, what's your hot take on Ethereum gas fees? And how do you guys kind of grapple with that? The rent is high in Ethereum land. Mm. Mm. High rent. It's Manhattan. Um, it's, it's the Manhattan of crypto. It's, it's very expensive to, you know, to kind of get more users to, um, to build really cool stuff. It's very limited. You don't get a lot of space to do cool stuff. Um, you know, there's other places where you can go and sort of explore, but a lot of the network effects right now are on Ethereum. You know, it is essentially the Manhattan of, of crypto right now. I really love that analogy of that, of Ethereum being the Manhattan, because that's where the quality projects are going to live. That's where the quality users are going to be versus something like a Binance smart chain, where all of a sudden you've got all kinds of craziness going on, you know, crime, like, and quite literally in a sense, sometimes with all the rug pulls and shit coins and madness that goes on over there. But if you're going to build something on Ethereum, you're really going to be catering to a completely different audience than Binance smart chain or even Polygon. So how have you had to pivot your product once this, you know, sky rise of gas prices started emerging. Um, well, we were we were pretty lucky early on. Um, you know, we started FutureSwap um, in 2020 on 420. Um, surprisingly, <laughs> um, and uh, you know, even then it was pretty high, but it wasn't anything compared to what it was. Uh, what it is right now. And so we were able to get quite a bit of traction um, in the early days. We were the first to launch perpetuals on Ethereum. Um, I think any decentralized perpetuals, actually, we were the first. So it was kind of some good insight into seeing um, what that looks like on L1. Uh, But what we quickly realized is that the resources that we needed were not available to us in this place, um, you know, we we just demanded uh, a faster pace of things. Um, we we required sort of very fast price updates, and it, and it was hard. It's very expensive to do that um, at scale, and that was on one market. You know, the idea was to launch on many markets, so this was going to be a huge hurdle. And so we had to sort of um, slow things down and think about how do we rebuild this in a way that actually scales. Um, so when we relaunched on Ethereum, we relaunched it in a way that it had these scaling properties. And with that, that led us to, you know, uh, billions of dollars in volume, which was pretty amazing. We were um, able to do things our, our competitors couldn't do. Um, but even then, um, you know, 
the the rest of the ecosystem started heating up and you know DeFi summer was there and it was just it was just too hot to to be in there it was just the gas prices there people were doing like two thousand dollar transaction fees just to run a, a trade and it was like that was incredible um and unsustainable like it's hard to grow a user base with that kind of barrier so um started looking at other places um and you know the arbitrum team we had been in talks with for a while and it looked like that they were going to emerge as one of the first um scaling solutions that could sort of launch on um and and see how things went over there i think you know there's a, an incredible amount of challenges beyond just building a technical product but there's also product challenges in terms of usage and user bases uh and the, and network effects i mean we talked about manhattan earlier sort of arbitrum and these other layer twos and l1s they're essentially building new cities right um and sort of when you when you build a new city it's, it's it's really exciting it is the wild west you look at binance smart chain like that is the wild west in so many ways right uh it's so far away from what we had on ethereum right that was like really uh <laughs> you know yeah binance smart chain is kind of like a little casino uh crazy area <laughs> I, I mean i didn't say that but uh <laughs> Uh, but it's definitely an, a different value set than the Ethereum um, value set, I think, um, where, where Ethereum, it's sort of like you're there to build your reputation, uh, where in finance, it's sort of like, how exciting can this get, right? Yeah. It reminds me of like a flea market where you might find a good value or you might find a broken VCR that never works once you get home and plug it in. You just never really know what you're going to get over there. But <laughs> Ethereum well has the largest group of open source developers in the world. So they're going to figure this stuff out. And you mentioned Arbitrum. There's other things like Scale Labs. They're working on something. Um, optimism is another thing. And you mentioned these are their own cities. Can we sort of draw like a, a word picture for the audience? What transacting on one of these things is actually like? Is, is it the same user experience? And then it just eventually gets settled on Ethereum. Is it similar to the Lightning Network where you have these open state channels that don't achieve final settlement until later? How does Optimism and Arbitrum and all these other things actually work? Um, I mean, they, they're they all pretty similar at the end of the day, right? Um, in the sense that, you know, maybe, maybe one syncs up with Ethereum, maybe another one doesn't. Um, you know, it's, it's depending on the audience that they're catering to what the audience cares about, right? If, if Arbitrum tomorrow said, you know what, we're not going to sync with here. We're going to be our own L1. Um, how would that impact? How would that impact them? Or optimism says that, or, you know, you look at Avalanche, you look at Binance Smart, Binance Smart Chain doesn't sync with Ethereum, right? They sort of cut ties and they're, they're independent. Um, and there's benefits to that. Right. There's benefits to sort of being uh, a connected city, a Brooklyn. Right. Um, so, you know, I think at the end of the day, um, they look pretty similar. And what they need to have is like, what, what is the unique feature that they bring for their community? 
I think that's what these chains need to focus on because you know they're all working really hard on making scaling possible. Uh, everyone's working on that, and I think um, most of them will get it in their own way. Then there will be trade-offs, and it'll be a while until we see what the, what trade-offs were valuable and who made the right decision, who made the wrong decision. But for yeah. now, we're in a state of sort of like, okay, they're scalable. Now, which one do you decide to go on? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, we, we, we brought, I remember we brought Ed Felton from, um, from Off-Chain Labs who, who, who was building the Arbitrum network. And we brought him on like two years ago. And it's crazy that just this year, finally, you know, it, it started to get a lot of liquidity and a lot of bridging. Yeah over to it. So it's really exciting to see. Um, but, but let's kind of uh, zoom back into future swap in particular. What was the particular need that you saw in the market that you said, all right, future swap is going to go fill that need? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, people want to um, have leverage on a lot of these, um, on these assets. And so oh, yeah. the, the professional traders essentially say, hey, I want more exposure. I want to de-risk in some ways. Um, I want to hedge, and you know, we said let's offer this as a service to these groups. Um, that was, you know, the basis, and that has now grown into, you know, really understanding where this market is going. I think you know, there's some groups that have, have done a great job, and I think the market is certainly shifting in many ways in terms of what users want and what users care about. Um, and we've sort of, you know, we've built four different versions of future swap, three of them this year. Uh, so we've been pretty busy at um, iterating and user testing and under trying to understand, you know, you know what's really valuable. Um, because I think anyone, you know, it's pretty easy to clone what's already existing. It's and then it's hard to create something that's a huge shift um, in the direction. And so if you look at something like, you know, DYDX, you know, it seems like their whole thing is we just want to be, we just want to be like FTX, um, but, but like non-custodial, mm-hmm. not even decentralized, but just like non-custodial. Um, and, and there's a particular niche of users who, who care about that. Um, and then there's other users who are just like, you know, it's, it's not, it's not really a decentralized product. It's sort of a, a very centralized product. Um, and there's trade-offs there, right? I, I'm, it's not that I'm knocking it. It's like, you know, for them to achieve sort of the, their value for their audience, they have to scale at a certain rate. And right now, um, most of the products are not capable of doing that. So they have to sort of centralize. So after peaking at $68,000 in mid-November, Bitcoin has dropped by roughly 40%. So no one said flying the D5 flag was going to be easy. But what if I told you that your portfolio might be overweight in Bitcoin? Uh, In fact, you might also want to consider diversifying into other alternative assets, perhaps like blue chip art. In some cases, actually, paintings have seen appreciation similar to crypto over the long term. For instance, a Picasso painting recently sold for $103 million uh, at an auction, and that's a 1,400% increase from its original price 
at auction. And now there's a new platform that lets you invest in paintings like that uh, without needing to be a gazillionaire. Uh, and over 310,000 investors have signed up. And just the other day, they had a seven. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. $1.4 million Banksy painting that sold out in under three hours. Now, I've partnered with this platform and, and got you all priority access to their newest paintings. And so all you got to do is log on to masterworks.io slash crypto 101. Again, that's masterworks.io slash crypto 101. Uh, again, masterworks.io slash crypto 101. And you can check out all the uh, the good stuff they got on their platform. So uh, I want you guys as well to see the important disclosures that are at masterworks.io slash disclaimer. And we're also going to link to those in the show notes. For, for a guy who's built and deployed a, uh, you know, a crypto, ex- basically a decentralized exchange, derivatives exchange, what is the go-to-market strategy for getting liquidity and getting users on the platform? Because, you know, a platform is only so good insofar as there's a lot of liquidity and a lot of active trading. And so did you have to subsidize um, early usage through liquidity mining programs or, or kind of what was going on? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like, People um, want to trade on things that are that are interesting um, and that are um, you know that there's demand for, right? And so um, it wasn't too hard to open something up and and have people use it. But now the marketplace is is more competitive, and so it's sort of the landscape has changed. But early on, yes, we were one of the first to incentivize uh, trading. I think we were probably the first group to really incentivize liquidity mining, trade mining um, as a, as a, you know, sort of, what were some of your, what were some of the key takeaways from that? You know, just looking back, you know, a year from, you know, past when that has happened, what's kind of the main takeaways? Was it a net positive and what would you have changed about the process? And, um, Maybe there's some projects that are helping bootstrap liquidity for, for new projects now that you're looking into. Yeah, I mean, there's an incredible amount of liquidity. I mean, look at the rise of these stable uh, projects. I mean, that's that seems to be the current trend, which is the market is sort of worried about what's going on right now and people are feeling very conservative. So let's let's move over to stable and then just focus on high yield stable tokens. Yep. That's, I mean, that's what we see, right? Mm-hmm. Um, look at look at um, Faye. Look at Magic Internet Money. Look at Frax. Uh, look at Terra. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you if you look at like kind of look at Curve. Uh, oh yeah, the so, convex wars that are going on. <laughs> like this is this is sort of the most interesting thing that's happening right now, and um, something that we're looking at very closely. Um, because, and look at, I mean, I, I didn't mention Olympus Dow and all the derivatives. Tokamak. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, Tokamak is 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 sort of in a, I think in a different category um, in terms of that they're more strategy based, but I think in terms of stable projects, you have an incredible amount of um, stable popping up to sort of have dominance. And I think um, I think this is creating a really interesting inflection point um, where you're instable, you're earning yield, you're conservative, but you're missing out on this potential growth of um, kind of these projects that are emerging that are going to be very exciting. Um, so yeah, I think I think there's some some interesting questions along those lines. When you were building future swap and analyzing everything else on the market, what did you decide to build that was different? You said, you know, maybe I don't like the way Binance is doing this or Bybit is doing that. You know, when you're building a decentralized derivatives exchange, what are the unique features that come with being decentralized and building your own stuff? What makes FutureSwap really different? Yeah, I mean, right now, um, you know, FutureSwap is fully decentralized. Um, we hook into Uniswap v3, um, but we have a large update coming, which enables um, essentially any any AMM to be integrated with FutureSwap, um, which means that we can tap into um, any liquidity pool um, that we want. So that's that's really exciting. And so sounds big. Yeah, that's pretty big. <laughs> yeah, I think you're downplaying this a little bit. <laughs> um, and so I think um, you know, in terms, what is that going to do in terms of like uh, multiples to like liquidity? Like, have you guys kind of done the the projections of how how much you know more capital efficient things are going to be or well well like i mean just to put it there's there's 50 billion dollars in amms right now 50 billion okay and between like uniswap sushi swap uh balancer curve like all those things right i mean y- you could even probably minus balancer um i'm not sure if you add in curve what that does but but the numbers around there and and we're talking okay. multi-chain evm chains Got it. Okay. If you include non-EVM, it's even, obviously it's even larger. Yeah. So there's a lot of liquidity in AMMs and it, you know, no one's really tapping into those. Um, And so we're really excited to be able to um, tap into the liquidity of so many of these AMMs that um, users basically want to have exposure on these different pools that these different AMMs specialize in. And so we'll be sort of the first to market um, on that. So that's something that we've been working on that we'll be announcing soon. It's very exciting. That's fantastic. Uh, have you seen some some pretty good uptake in uh, in usage of FutureSwap? Would you say like um, it's more of something that like hedge funds have have really spent a lot of time you know using, or is it more retail? And have you guys even approached you know other other funds to get them on and stuff? Um, you know, we've been focusing on um, building a product that brings a lot of value to our users. And one thing that we realize is, you know, it's really important that FutureSwap, you know, goes to where the liquidity is. Um, and you know, I think I think these chains are all doing a really great job of building up their liquidity and, 
you know, for FutureSwap to be really useful, um, liquidity is a core component. So I think right now we're in a situation where there's not a lot of liquidity um, where we currently are, but I think that's growing. But we uh, plan on, you know, so tapping into more liquidity um, in places that, you know, we think is beneficial for our community. So I think there's, you're going to see a lot of change over the next couple of months and a lot of really interesting things. But on the whole, I think, you know, FutureSwap, this latest version before has been battle tested for the last couple of months um, to show that we can basically create perpetuals on top of any AMM. And I think few people understand that. And that's without us having to market make, that's without us having to do a lot of stuff. Um, so it's very organic. So, you know, this current exchange that we're on, we're on is sort of a test bed for, hey, does this, does this um, actually work um, at scale? And so far, everything says yes. And the next step is just to plug into more. Um, nice. Yeah. Do, do you, um, you know, personally trade? I'm curious, like, you know, you built a pretty fancy um, trading platform. Are, are you yourself a pretty active trader? Um, you know, in the past, um, I had more time available to trade, but mm -hmm. I think most of my time is spent uh, building uh, and working with my team on, yeah. on creating product. I'm curious, uh, just your, your, your kind of take here on the market. I know you, you kind of sensed the market was maybe shifting a little bit more to some yield generating opportunities, maybe risking off. I'm just curious about any, uh, any take for the first quarter here, first two quarters of the year, where do you think kind of the market's going? Of course, nothing you say should ever be construed as financial advice, not trading advice, but just trying to get into the mind here of Derek Alia. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think you're going to see more rise of stable usage. I think, uh, you know, people are going after high yield uh, with their stable. And I think you're going to see more protocols catering to this. Um, and I think ultimately you're going to have derivatives around these stable projects um, that have their own token that people want exposure on because it's basically going to be... Um, you know, like we said, the convex wars, right? People are going to be trading. There's going to be winners and there's going to be losers. And that's going to be very interesting um, in terms of being able to hedge, um, you know, your strategy. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and I think there's going to be a big trend of these, you know, liquid staking derivatives and all that kind of stuff that seems to be popping up. Um, so yeah, there's definitely going to be quite a large market for, for all sorts of uh, new digital assets, uh, Derek, before we let you go, we got a couple quick questions that we typically, you know, ask you know every guest that comes on the show. Um, one question is just out of all the other teams that are building um, out there right now, um, you know, what could you give one shout out to to one team that's really really impressed you, or, or maybe it's one developer that you're just like you know kind of a fanboy of or anything like that? Um, always curious about about this question. <laughs> I mean, I think, um, you know, Joey from Faye has been doing um, a really fantastic job of just um, being bold. Um, you know, he recently did the, the Rari, um, uh, sorry, not Rari, 
the tribe um, token the tribe token um and they merged and, they had a little merger with rari capital didn't they yeah sorry yeah so it was rari um and they basically merged a lot of people were against this um he was for it um and obviously he was for it and you know that was i think that's hard to do and ultimately i think what we're going to see is more of these mergers um this is this is what i predict as a trend and I, it makes it makes sense um and i think this was the first of many and you're going to basically see you know people being pretty bold with with the um tvl they had they basically are going to do something with it uh, especially the protocol owned community uh, um the protocol owned uh what is it Lock value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this. Protocol owned liquidity and yeah, protocol, protocol owned liquidity value. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of buzzwords. <laughs> a lot of buzzwords. Sorry, I guess we can just like repeat that. So I think there's going to be a lot of really interesting um, stuff with protocol owned liquidity and this whole notion of DeFi 2.0. Mm. Um, and you know, essentially, these groups have to make bold moves um, to really make a difference because the, it's it's really heating up, especially for the stable tokens. So I think there's going to be a lot of action there. Um, so yeah, I would, I would do a shout out to Joey just uh, for, for being bold and doing some interesting. Can I actually ask you a little bit about just high level that Rari tribe merger? What was like, you know, the high level goal that they accomplished there? And, you know, that's kind of repeatable for other tokens. Like what, what was the problem they were trying to really solve there that they did. You know, I think ultimately, uh, you know, Faye is a stable token. And if they can um, essentially plug into more use cases, that's good for Faye. Um, and, you know, Rari was one of those groups with these fuse pools, right? It had a lot of usage. It was exciting. Uh, There's a lot of collaboration that they could do. And also, you've got this, this large community. And you've got a great engineering team, right? That's that's also bold in terms of just being able to iterate quickly. Um, you know, sometimes things break, that happens. Um, I think the goal is sort of like, how can we um, sort of take the, the funds that we have and and do something with them? And one, one way to do something is to acquire um, communities and teams and uh, protocols that can provide a lot of value to your protocol. Um, and, you know, adding more yield to Faye is, is sort of one of their goals. And that's what they did. Interesting. Uh, before we let you go, Derek, there's going to be a lot of people that are listening to this podcast that are going to go try futures trading for the first time after listening. Can you send us off with some words of wisdom and perhaps some words of warning for our first time futures traders? Yeah. So I would say... Um, you know, it's an extremely powerful tool, um, and it should be used with caution, but at the end of the day, you should understand, um, sort of what future swap does and what, what future swap is. Um, and if you can kind of, uh, use that to your advantage to understand the market and take on directional position, um, that's, you know, that can be extremely beneficial. I would say, if you look at you know who's who's making a lot of the money in crypto, oftentimes you have these traders who are just you know leveraged up, 
um, it, you know, it's a double-edged sword. It, it can also be very dangerous um, and should be used with caution. Um, you know, use low leverage when you can. Um, obviously people get really passionate and want to go big. Um, but, you know, I think use a product that's, that's, that's safe. And, you know, our whole thing with FutureSwap is we want to make sure we can take you to the most interesting places in the safest way possible. Um, and that's sort of what we're committed to. And you're going to see a lot more interesting places with FutureSwap and sort of where we're going. And, um, you know, just come join the community, be part of it. And uh, yeah, should be a lot of fun. Cool. All right. Well, I love it. Th those are some good closing notes. And, and without further ado, Derek, we'll let you go. Uh, get back to building the future of finance. Uh, and me and Aaron will sign off for now. Everybody who's at home, uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.